Welcome to Healing at the Speed of Light. Every week, we discuss how laser therapy is changing healthcare and how you can benefit. Now, here is your host and founder of Laser Therapy Institute, Dr. Jason Roundtree. Yes, thanks for joining us here today on Healing at the Speed of Light, Christy. Glad to be here. Christy is a certified laser tech and has been with us for years now. She is actually in charge of developing a lot of the materials that our doctors out in the field use. You can find a laser therapy clinic near you by going to lasertherapyinstitute.org. Click on the button that says clinics and then pull up a map. You can show you who's near you, who can help you out. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have any difficulties accessing that map, you can always email us to info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. But the Healing at the Speed of Light podcast is specifically focused on patients. Right. And what patients want to know. Because most patients, uh, as much as it saddens me, uh, don't want to know exactly how the 800 nanometer wavelength performs versus the 970. It just might be too much. It's, it's, it yeah. just might be too much. Yeah. Most patients just want to know uh, how exactly know, does is this it gonna work? work. Is it going to work? Yeah. Is it going to work? Is it going to work for me? Mm-hmm. Which is really the best question, of course. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Is this going to work for me? Uh, and we're going to be focused on shoulder problems. Mm-hmm. We've talked about shoulders a good bit lately, mm-hmm. um, actually. And today we're specifically talking about rotator cuff tears. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've talk to someone who uh, has shoulder pain or really anybody, uh, shoulder pain with rotator cuff tears is extremely common. It's one of the most common surgeries that's out there. Mm-hmm. And shoulder pain is the third most common musculoskeletal complaint behind neck and back pain. Well, it's repetitive motion. You use your shoulders and everything. So yeah. I can understand why. Yes. <laughs> yep, exactly. So uh, what is the rotator cuff exactly and what should be done about it? And, and if you do injure yours, what are your options? Most people go, well, I guess I have to have surgery. Let's talk about that a little bit because it turns out most rotator cuff tears, most of them, the mm-hmm. vast majority, should not be operated on. Really? Yeah, we're going to talk about why that is. But let's look at what the rotator cuff is first. So most people, when they hear the word rotator cuff, they think about like a, uh, a like big... A socket. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like it's part of the socket. And it turns out it's really not part of the socket at all. Hey, we can still see. There we go. Still see each other a little bit. So if you if you uh, can see the picture on our screen there, we've got a picture of some muscles around the shoulder. We're kind of looking at the shoulder uh, from this angle right here. Uh, other way. Other way. There we go. There we go. Looking at it like this. This way. Oh, go. sideways. Kind of sideways. Like there you go. That's that. it. There we go. <laughs> so the <laughs> rotator cuff um, is a is a collection of muscles, and they provide a a lot of stability uh, for the shoulder in rotatory motions. That's why they're called the rotator cuff. So it's four different muscles, and they are very prone to degeneration over time, as well as to some degree tearing with with injuries also. So uh, if you're seeing the picture on the screen, you've got three different muscles marked with an X there. Those three muscles are three of the four muscles of the rotator cuff. There's another muscle around the front, kind of underneath the shoulder blade that you can't see in this case. But uh, those three right there are really important ones. And if you can see, a lot of the muscle actually goes back along the shoulder blade. And that's not just a little tiny muscle right there in the shoulder itself. Mm-hmm. So the, the bulk of the muscle goes back into the shoulder blade, either on top or underneath. And then the actual attachment site is out on the outside of the shoulder. And that is where most of the time these will uh, become painful when they get injured. 
go ahead and move that picture out of the way but it's hard to visualize without a picture so I wanted to throw a picture in there so that you can see that if you're just listening to the audio version of this go ahead and just google rotator cuff you'll get some good pictures there and it gives you a little bit of an understanding of kind of what we mean when we say rotator cuff it is a collection of muscles not a specific single structure okay so out of those four muscles, one of them in particular does get torn more often. That is the supraspinatus, and that's the muscle that takes and raises your arm up to the side. That one right there. That's right, right up along here. So actually, you're pointing to the deltoid, which does raise the arm out to the side. Mm -hmm. um, however, this muscle is a little bit deeper, so it actually attaches here and goes back underneath here. Okay. And what it will do is it'll allow you to get further than the deltoid will out to that side. However, most people that have an injury to the rotator cuff, including the supraspinatus muscle, will have pain out on the outside here where you're pointing to on that deltoid muscle. So out on kind of the outside of the shoulder. That's a really significant hallmark. However, not every shoulder pain case is a rotator cuff tear. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, most shoulder pain cases are impingement. We talked about that one a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know about impingement syndrome, go back, listen to that episode from a couple weeks back about shoulder impingement. But there are a lot of cases of the, the muscles of the rotator cuff actually tearing. So what do you do about it? That's what everybody really wants to know, right? Mm -hmm. um, rotator cuff surgeries are the most common thing that people hear about. However, there's a, there's a gradient here in terms of the tearing that can happen in these muscles. Sometimes it's a very, very slight tear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a complete tear where it totally rips all the way across and can even retract or pull back away from its anchor point. Sounds very painful. Yeah, both of them can actually be quite mm -hmm. painful. Even just a small tear can be mm -hmm. uh, more painful. Some people with complete tears have pain when it happens, and then sometimes and then the pain completely goes away. It's done because there's nothing to to be cause resistance or anything. So right. Sometimes yeah. it's like a break. It's better than a sprain. It, yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The pain wise, at least. Right. So. Um, it, a lot of people want to know, you know, when we get to this point, okay, well, why does it happen too? Mm -hmm. You know, okay, so mm -hmm. I understand it can tear a little bit, it can tear all the way. Why does it get torn? Well, there's one more layer of this, and that is tendonitis. Mm -hmm. So tendonitis is inflammation of the tendon, so it's not a tear, but you can have rotator cuff tendonitis. And that is, excuse me, that is actually quite common too. And repetitive cases of rotator cuff tendonitis lead to degeneration of the tendon meaning it starts to wear out starts to get thinner becomes less right. strong right, right? Mm -hmm. so you can have shoulder pain even that comes and goes over time with like you said repetitive motion and and that will gradually lead to degeneration of that rotator cuff tendon so it doesn't have to necessarily be age it's just repetitive motion degeneration thinning mm -hmm. that sort of thing right and and Sometimes it's not just the repetitive motion either. Sometimes it's uh, improper motions or loading, uh, kind of mm -hmm. maybe not a repetitive action, but an improper action okay. can do that too. So the the problem here is that it's very easy to get into these poor motions mm -hmm. and to get into this inflammatory piece and then not really know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things you can do, if you're thinking about your rotator cuff and you don't have an injury at this point, one of the best things you can do is exercise it and strengthen it. Because the stronger those rotator cuff muscles and tendons are, the more resistant to injury they'll be. So we actually see more tears in people who are detrained, who have to use the shoulders for normal day-to-day -day things and then just boom, one day it degenerates enough 
that it tears. So it's important to get proper stretching, strengthening, and proper motion. Right. Absolutely it is. Now, if you have an injury or, or pain in the shoulder, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to recommend that you go and work it out a lot. But if you're, if you're concerned, you know, that, mm-hmm. hey, I, I'm worried about having a, a good rotator cuff as I, as I age or as I'm in these activities, things like that, working uh, specific exercises for the rotator cuff is a good idea. There's a ton of them out there. Um, they're pretty simple. The guideline generally is you don't want to do a ton of weight. Uh, you want to do more small motion, small weights. Uh, in order to keep those tissues strong and in order to strengthen the connective tissues as well. But the the less common thing that happens here is an actual injury where you lift something that is too heavy or or go through a rotation-type motion that does actually injure that rotator cuff tendon, Mm -hmm. and then it does tear. That does happen, but the more common is this degenerative side. And and the Mm -hmm. first step is usually that inflammatory tendonitis where people Mm -hmm. will get some pain. Mm -hmm. That leads to some fraying. Mm-hmm. where those fibers start to kind of separate and then into a partial tear a partial tear then often goes to a full thickness tear but it's a it's a progression over time so if you catch it early have it diagnosed or whatever early mm-hmm. then usually there's more you can do before yeah. you get to the surgery stage right Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's what we're going to talk about mainly today is how to catch this thing early, how to address it correctly so you don't end up in surgery because rotator cuff surgery can go very well, um, but you're usually left with some level of, of disability, usually, uh, lack of mobility or lack of strength, and there's a lot of downtime with this. Mm-hmm. Plus, if you're, say, right-handed, you got a lot of things that you need to do left-handed all of a sudden uh, if you get surgery on your right side. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Yeah, yeah that's exactly so. right. I don't want to leave the lefties out. Yeah, please don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know me. I like to get into research. So, mm-hmm. I actually have two studies to bring to you today. So, this might be a little bit lengthy, but I wanted to present a lot of information because there's, there's a lot here to think about if you're thinking about going through some kind of treatment for a rotator cuff tear or a rotator cuff tendonitis, or surgery. There's a a lot of different factors to consider here. So I wanna really dig into what the research says about rotator cuff tears and and what we can do about them. So the first study I'm gonna look at is actually not a laser therapy study. I know, it's weird, right? What? I know. (laughs) This one's titled Platelet-Rich Plasma in Patients with Partial Thickness Rotator Cuff Tears or Tendinopathy leads to significant improved short-term pain relief and function compared with corticosteroid injections. A double-blind, randomized, controlled trial. Let's simplify that one a little bit. Mm -hmm. PRP injection versus cortisone injection for people with a partial tear in the the rotator cuff. So PRP versus cortisone. Mm -hmm. I've heard things about cortisone that you... Positive and negative. Mm-hmm. It can damage the tissue, but PRP will not damage the tissue, or how is that different? Right, yeah, that's correct. So, cortisone is a really strong anti inflammatory. It does great at reducing inflammation and pain, uh, but inflammation is not always your enemy, and pain is not always your enemy either. And so, while cortisone can be helpful for, for reducing those problems, there is that secondary side effect of tissue damage. We do know that cortisone can lead to connective tissue damage and weakening of the bone. Okay. So there's a limit to how much you can have done, mm-hmm. um, but I'm personally a fan of not having any done because right. why would you do something that's definitely going to weaken your connective tissues mm-hmm. when that's the exact problem you already have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. PRP, platelet-rich plasma, that's something where they'll draw blood from you, the patient, 
and they will spin it to separate the components and then they can pull out the platelets and inject those into an area that's been injured mm -hmm. and the idea is you're trying to stimulate not only that reduction of inflammation but actually repair whereas cortisone does not do that okay. just wanted to make sure i understood that no that's good that's perfect thank you asking those important questions that everybody else is is wondering so mm -hmm. Uh, so I want to read from this study, just a quote real quick here. They say, although the surgical treatment of full thickness tears has yielded excellent results in the literature, several factors contribute to the success or failure of such treatment, and debate persists regarding the quality and integrity of tendon healing after surgical repair. When considering this controversy and a proportionally higher prevalence of partial thickness tears, Attention has been drawn to addressing early disease in an effort to slow progression or promote healing. And that's exactly what we've already been kind of mm -hmm. talking about. You know, in a full thickness tear situation, you know, you've got to go to surgery in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, but the more common case here is partial thickness tear, which is really, in most cases, not suited to surgery. And then these guys say there's even questions with these uh, surgeries of how well the tendon actually heals. Hmm. So there's extra attention drawn to addressing the early part of the disease so that you can slow down the progression uh, and hopefully also promote healing. That's an important step here is promoting the healing portion. Mm -hmm. So um, how are partial tears typically treated? Like if you go into your orthopedic center with shoulder pain, what are you usually going to encounter? Well, some of you probably already know exactly what you're going to encounter. What most people encounter is there may be some x-rays taken, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. which x-rays show us bone right but not these rotator cuff tendons no nope. but that's a that's a reasonable place to start start with an x-ray and then a lot of times if there's nothing on the x-ray you're straight plugged in with uh, some cortisone okay i thought you were going to go with physical therapy ah thankfully that is becoming more common so if you get lucky and you get a good orthopedic center a lot of cases they might give you some over-the-counter like uh, ibuprofen to help combat the inflammation and then send you off to physical therapy which does show pretty darn good results going through strengthening and stretching for partial rotator cuff tears but in a lot of cases there's still people just getting plugged with cortisone into wherever it hurts mm -hmm. and then getting sent out the door with no follow-up and that's just temporary that's a temporary fix if you will that's exactly right because it just helps reduce the pain and inflammation right but as you've just said it doesn't do anything for repair right at least if you get sent to physical therapy you're working on the long-term strengthening and capability of that shoulder which is a really important step so these guys say first-line treatment of early rotator cuff disease may consist of activity modification or stopping doing the repetitive things that you've been mm -hmm. doing right mm -hmm. stretching and strengthening exercises PT mm -hmm. oral anti-inflammatory medications like ibuprofen and or corticosteroid injections are more commonly you know called uh, cortisone so these are often used as an inexpensive and effective treatment to reduce pain and improve motion in all stages of rotator cuff disease whether that is inflammatory just a little bit of tendonitis or even full thickness tears hmm. despite common use and reported success the mechanism of action of cortisone may only be of symptomatic benefit and may not address tendon pathology or promote healing when considering the degenerative pathology of rotator cuff disease, much study has been devoted to discovering new non-operative treatments to promote tendon biology. What do you think tendon biology means there in that, in that case? Well, study of the tendon. Yeah, yeah, study the tendon, the, mm -hmm. the biology, the, the kind of layout 
of the tendon, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the way that the tendon itself can heal, mm-hmm. function, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, because the the biggest problem is they say that recent literature has called into question the safety of cortisone injections and described possible deleterious effects. Several animal models have shown decreased rotator cuff tendon quality after injection, whereas some human studies have reported a higher revision rate after cortisone injection, meaning they have to go back and have uh, a surgery redone after you've had cortisone in there. They say that Preoperative cortisone injection was strongly correlated with increased rates of revision for rotator cuff surgeries. Despite these potential risks, cortisone is still commonly used in practice. But there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. There's a problem there with cortisone. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with getting some pain relief. There's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. feeling better. However, there's good ways to do this and there's not so good ways to do this. We know physical therapy can be very effective, especially right. on the medium term, for, mm-hmm. for helping with shoulder problems and pain. Mm-hmm. But if somebody wants to plug you full of cortisone, it might be worth taking a step back and thinking about it first. Get a second opinion. Get a second opinion. Yep. Now, at the end of the, that one statement, I said, you know, that much study has been devoted to discovering new non-operative treatments to promote tendon biology or promote tendon repair. Let's just say repair. Mm-hmm. So uh, then the natural next question is, okay, if I can't have cortisone, what should I be doing? What kind of non-operative repair can be done? What do you think we're going to say? Well, I venture to say maybe laser therapy. Hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, uh, different study, second study mm-hmm. here, which we have actually talked about on the podcast before. But in this particular study, which we'll link in the notes, it's the effectiveness of high-intensity laser therapy in the treatment of post-stroke patients with hemiplegic shoulder pain, a prospective randomized controlled study from April of 21. Mm-hmm. What these guys did is they treated rotator cuff tears, partial tears, Mm-hmm. with laser therapy. They said that the results strongly suggest that high-intensity laser therapy application could restore partial tears of the supraspinatus muscle, or that, that muscle we said mm-hmm. is most commonly torn. Mm-hmm. I have one other quote I wanted to read to you, too. They say that high-intensity laser increases microcirculation and tissue regeneration and lowers edema, inflammation, and pain with its photomechanical, thermal, electrical, and biostimulating effects in deep tissues. It has advantages over lower-intensity laser because it has higher power and greater tissue penetration and shorter emission time as well. Mm-hmm. So essentially there we're talking about using a non-invasive, non-operative light to stimulate the biology mm-hmm. of the tendon tissues. And that is a way that they actually saw in this particular study, that the tendons were repaired mm-hmm. in those that had the laser therapy. And then those right. that didn't have laser therapy that were in the same study actually did not really achieve any repair. <laughs> and the laser therapy folks uh, got better and stayed better a lot faster. Because well, we know that light therapy helps stimulate and promote cell reproduction. That's exactly right. So Yeah. And that is something that the cortisone is going to actually shut down. So right. if you, you know, you might get rid of some of the pain with cortisone and we'll go back to that here in just a second on this first study. Um, but we, we know it's not going to really stimulate any level of healing or repair. So where are you going to be on the long term? You're going to be back in the same situation again with more pain, mm-hmm. more inflammation. And then what's the next solution? Well, you're going to just plug it with cortisone until it eventually tears. And then you're going to go to surgery and maybe hopefully have good results. But it'd be nice to interrupt that process 
along the way. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that with a non-operative treatment that works, like laser therapy, why not? Why not? There's no side effects to laser therapy. There's no risks that Mm -hmm. have ever been discussed uh, or or observed with laser therapy. And we're not talking about cutting or burning Mm -hmm. tissues. We're talking about putting a light on the skin that can go right through the skin, right to this damaged tendon, and it stimulates the body's repair mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to go back to our first study because we talked about cortisone and PRP. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So we, we do need to close the loop on that one. If cortisone is not good, lasers is good, you know, and is effective. What about this PRP? They say that PRP injections have been found to increase the local concentrations of platelets and growth factors, including platelet-derived growth factor, vascular endothelial growth factor, transforming growth factor beta, and epidermal growth factor, which have all been implicated as important factors in the early healing process. So when it comes to stimulating repair, Laser and PRP can both be useful for getting that repair done. I was going to say, it sounds like a both and, you know, laser therapy and PRP. Yeah, is that's... A, is a very viable solution. When you're evaluating non-operative treatments, you mm-hmm. want to be looking first at, well, we don't want to do any more damage. So right. that takes cortisone off the list. Mm-hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. And we do know that some over-the-counter NSAIDs, like ibuprofen, uh, can be effective in terms of reducing inflammation, but they have a lot of risks too. I mean, not in the short term so much, but if you use them for a long time, severe risks. There's people, hundreds of thousands of people that die every year from overusing ibuprofen. Well, and that's like still that. just a cover-up. That's still just a temporary solution right? Um, to reduce the pain and inflammation, but it's going to come back. Right. Yeah. We no repair. Yeah, we know that, um, that ibuprofen does tend to actually inhibit repair. It slows down that process, even while it might be reducing pain. It's it's kind of like cortisone in the fact that it can actually inhibit the the overall repair of that tissue tear. You know, not in the short mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. but but in the longer term. Right. So, you want to be looking. You know, if you've got a partial tear, if you've got tendonitis, you you need to be ruling out things that are going to do damage. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't keep doing the same repetitive motions maybe that cause the problem, and also don't get a cortisone jab. Right. Yeah. You might have to stop temporarily so right? that it fixes and so that you can heal it. Yeah, you might have to stop. You might have to dial back some of the activities you're doing so you don't continue to agitate that. Right. right? That's a reasonable That's mm-hmm. a reasonable thing to do. You don't want to just stop moving the shoulder. I'm no. not saying that. No. No. But it's it's important to go ahead and, and stop aggravating it actively. Mm-hmm. So laser therapy is a, a very good treatment. Um, one more quote from this second study I brought up. So they had a control group and a laser group, and the the control group got sham laser, and the laser wasn't Mm -hmm. turned on, basically, right? right? But they didn't know it. So the the group that had laser had clinically and statistically significant improvement in terms of pain and disability and range of motion in the shoulder joint uh, immediately after treatment, Mm -hmm. and their quality of life and function showed a significant increase also. And the the people who got sham laser, fake laser, had no change. Mm -hmm. Now... The neat thing they did in this, and this is why it's one of my favorite studies, is they looked at the rotator cuff tears using diagnostic, diagnostic ultrasound, mm-hmm. both before and after doing a course of laser therapy over three weeks. And they saw a significant improvement in terms of the size of the tear, meaning that the laser actually stimulated a measurable change in that tendon by repairing it. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive. It is. That is something we're missing in the PRP study. Unfortunately, we can't mm-hmm. really. They didn't really visualize uh, that change for us. But and when was the 
PRP study done? That's a good question. This was uh, published in 2020. Okay. So, so not it's, that old. No, it's only a couple years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll give you the kind of results on that. Now, the, the, the injection study here, the PRP versus mm-hmm. cortisone injection, these were done on people who had already failed physical therapy. Okay. Okay, so they had already gone to physical therapy. They already tried mm-hmm. things uh, mm-hmm. to help with like stretching and exercises, and they had failed. They had not had enough relief. Mm-hmm. So then they came into this study. They had either a cortisone injection or a PRP injection. weren't told which one. Okay. And then at the three month mark, after one single injection, seventy five percent of the people who had PRP felt significantly better, a lot better than the people who had the cortisone. Um, whereas the people who had cortisone still did have some success, just not as much at that three-month mark. By the time they got to the 12-month mark, about 24% of the PRP inject- injection patients had failed. So they had to go on and have either more injections or um, surgery or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas about 32% of the cortisone patients failed. So just a little mm-hmm. bit more failure rate on the cortisone patients where they had to go on and have something else done. Um, as well. But again, you know, this is a standalone uh, injection after already failing physical therapy. So mm-hmm. these are these are already patients who are kind of challenging. Well, and it shows that it's nothing is immediate. It does take mm-hmm. time and it might take a little bit extra to actually see the result. Right. Yeah, yet, it can. The alternative to surgery is worth it. If you can if you can have success without surgery, uh, yeah, it is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when, like these guys brought up earlier, we don't really even know quite how much that tendon really does recover after a surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's common to see people go through a couple of surgeries or see see these um, these surgeries fail. So uh, it's something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're comparing a difficult case that has you know failed PT already, PRP versus cortisone, the PRP patients actually got faster relief mm-hmm. than the cortisone patients. Mm-hmm. But also, just three weeks of laser therapy lowered pain by about 75%. That's, so both of those are good options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So, and that, that's, that's really pretty quick when you think about it. Because if you have surgery, well, you've got a while before you're usually able to get in and schedule surgery. And then how long after surgery do you feel bad? It takes time to heal from surgery. Yes. And there's the risk of further complications. Right. When you cut something open. Yeah, yeah. There's just risk. There is risk. And there's always scar tissue, Mm -hmm. which can cause problems down the road even. Mm -hmm. So if there is a way to take that shoulder problem, that shoulder partial rotator cuff tear, and treat it in a non-operative but successful way, that way is going to be something like PRP or laser therapy or traditional physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Ideally... All three. All three together is good, right? I mean, if you pick one or two, uh, even uh, exercises are are fantastic for it. Mm -hmm. It may not be enough on its own. Maybe laser therapy wouldn't be enough on its own. PRP might not be enough on its own. Put them all together or put several of them together, Mm -hmm. and that raises your chances of success. Mm -hmm. So, and all of those, both the exercise level of intervention, you know, where you're doing physical therapy, exercises, stretches, laser therapy, uh, PRP injection, those are things that are restorative, not just pain relief, but actually repairing the damage so that it's less likely you come out down the road with more problems, more pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. That wasn't too painful. No. <laughs> no. But it just shows that 
there are alternatives to surgery and good alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we learn more every year mm-hmm. about exactly how good some of these are. Well, and the studies are just coming out fast and furious. Yeah, yeah, so. more every year. Mm-hmm. So to recap, what do you do if you have a rotator cuff tear? Well, if it's a complete tear, you're probably going to go to surgery. Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to definitely get through physical therapy after you go to surgery. That's mm-hmm. a necessity. Mm-hmm. And hey, laser therapy as well would be a fantastic add-on. Even mm-hmm. something like PRP post-surgery mm-hmm. can be fantastic for trying to get better healing of that tendon that's been mm-hmm. repaired rather mm-hmm. than just hoping and waiting. Right. If you have a partial tear, laser's a fantastic alternative. Even if you've already tried physical therapy, there could still be options. If that didn't work out for you, which it does work out for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but if you've tried physical therapy and you maybe didn't get the relief, the results that you were really hoping to, trying laser therapy, trying things like PRP, regenerative injections, can be very, very good before you just jump straight to having surgery and then the complications that can come with that. Right. It's worth a look. It is. It's worth a look. If you want to check out these studies, they'll be linked in the show notes when this podcast goes live next week. Uh, If you have questions about your situation or you want to find a laser therapy clinic near you, shoot us an email, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you have other questions, what kind of laser should I be using? If your doctor wants to know about laser therapy, put them in touch with us. This is what we do. We train Mm -hmm. doctors across the world. Mm -hmm. We actually have clinics in multiple states here in the U.S. and Australia. So you can find us easily, hopefully, wherever you're at. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Subscribe to this weekly podcast for more great information. Find a certified laser therapy clinic near you at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you're a healthcare provider, check out our practitioner-focused Laser Therapy Institute podcast. Thanks for listening.